I'm going to go ahead and find Psalm 117. So we're going to be this morning, Psalm 117. Uh, and if you've already kind of seen it in the bulletin, or maybe you flipped there really fast, um, you're going to notice something about this psalm. It's really short. <laughs> um, it's actually so short that it is both the shortest psalm in the entire book of the Psalms, and it is the shortest chapter in the entire Bible. And if that wasn't interesting enough, there's something else about this psalm that's unique. Um, I brought a visual aid for us this morning. Psalm 117, if you divide the Bible up by chapter, both the Old and New Testament, is exactly in the middle of the Bible. Um, and even though this psalm is short, even though this psalm is brief, it is filled with immense meaning. And it has a scope that is almost unfathomable. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he looked at this psalm and he found it so helpful, he found it so encouraging and so rich and satisfying that he wrote a 36-page commentary on just these two verses, 18 pages per verse. So it's a great psalm and there's a lot to see from it. There's a lot to unpack and understand. But before we do that this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we come to Your Word, may it be a quiet place of rest for weary people. May it be a beacon of hope for hurting people. And may it be a gentle instructor for curious people. Lord, I ask that the reading of Your Word and the preaching of Your Gospel would be used for our good and for Your ultimate glory. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, this is the word of the Lord from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all people. For great is His steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will endure forever. Amen. I don't know if you've been watching any of the Winter Olympics, but we've been watching some of it in the evenings. And one of my absolute favorite things to watch during the Olympics is athletes' faces. Like when an athlete performs their absolute best routine or they do their best run, whether it's on the snow or it's on the ice, when they finish it and they know that they have absolutely nailed it, it's awesome. I mean, it's so cool, especially when it's in a medal round and they know they've just won the gold medal. And what happens? Well, instantly, the commentators go crazy and they start telling you all the things that they did so perfectly. And the coaches come over and there's hugs and there's embraces and other teammates and other um, competitors from around the world come up to them and they just start celebrating and they start praising them. They start giving them praise for what they've just performed, for the fact that they are the best at their sport in the entire world. And if we're honest, we we kind of want that. We want that experience to when someone can look at us and see us and know us completely and understand us and actually offer us praise where it's due. But I don't know if it's a Southern thing. Maybe it's just a human thing. But when someone actually does offer us praise, what happens? We start to backpedal as hard as we can. When someone actually says, hey, you're awesome, or that was so great, or wow, incredible, what do we do? We, we kind of we, we get out of it. We're like, no, 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 I, it wasn't, I'm not that good. Or it, it was a group effort. The team really pulled through. Or no, I'm not as good as you think I am. 
And we kind of offer this false humility because we, we don't want people to think that we want praise. We don't want people to think that we think we're worthy of it. But here's what the psalmist tells us this morning. God does not have that problem. God knows absolutely that He is worthy of praise, so much so that He actually commands us to praise Him. He commands us to praise Him because He's worthy of it. That's who He is. And you see, C.S. Lewis, he actually says this about praise. He says, praise is connected to joy. And so praise doesn't just express our joy, it completes it. That praise is completing our joy. And so the psalmist is telling us that when we see who God is, when we see what God is like, it is our response is to praise Him. So in these two short little verses, we end up seeing something incredible. We end up seeing exactly who God is and exactly how we're supposed to respond. And it's this. The Lord is worthy of our praise because He is steadfast and because He is faithful. That's what we're going to look at this morning. The Lord is worthy of our praise first because He is steadfast and second because He is faithful. Look back at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. And it's kind of this blink-and-you'll-miss-it concept. But the scope of this verse, the scope of this psalm is massive. What is the psalmist saying? He's not saying, Praise the Lord, all you believers. He is not saying, Praise the Lord, all ye children of Israel. What is he saying? The psalmist is telling us, Praise the Lord, all nations, all peoples. The psalmist has the entire world, all of human history, all of humanity in mind with this command where it's saying, who is supposed to praise God? Who is supposed to praise the Lord? Well, it's everyone. Everyone is supposed to praise the Lord. And you know, believe it or not, that was a very hard concept for God's people to understand. For generation after generation, for different iteration, all the way up into the formation of the church in the New Testament, they did not understand that the exclusivity of the gospel, the exclusivity of the Christian life was not connected to a nationality. That it was not connected to a certain type of person. That the gospel really is for everyone. That the command to praise the Lord is for everyone. And so in Romans 15, Paul quotes this psalm. He says, it's for everybody. And he actually ends up saying that it has always been God's plan for everyone to praise Him. So Paul gives him this application. He says, one way that you can praise the Lord is by accepting one another as Christ has accepted you. And so this command is for everyone when we are moved to praise the Lord. When we see God for who He is, we realize that this command is for everyone. Um, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with the show Undercover Boss. Uh, it kind of starts out each episode with this line. It says, each week we follow a boss of a major company as they go undercover to find out what's really going on. Okay, confession, I've never seen the show. But what I have seen is the Star Wars parody where they follow Kylo Ren and they put him on Starkiller base and they dress him up as a radar technician and they just have all sorts of humor situations. And so what ends up happening is everybody knows that he's the supreme leader. 
Everybody knows exactly who it is, and so they kind of roll their eyes when they come around or maybe like go the other direction. So he starts asking questions like, hey, what do you think of Kylo Ren? Do you think he's going to finish what Darth Vader started? Uh, or he like finds Kylo Ren's lightsaber. He's like, look, I found Kylo Ren's lightsaber. He starts swinging it around, causing havoc. And so the episode ends, and everyone's like, yeah, we knew it was you from hello. You know? But the way the show is supposed to work <laughs> is that you have a boss, someone who is high in the company, come in and take a low-level job and see what it's like. And so people have interactions with them where they don't know who it is. And so maybe they ask them to do something that you would never ask the CEO to do. Or maybe they treat them in a way of, with a lack of respect that you would never treat the boss that way. And so at the end of the show, when it's revealed, oh my goodness, this, this is not who I thought it was. Their entire response, their entire reaction changes. Suddenly, someone who is not worthy of any of their time or attention gets all of their time and attention. They're like, I'm so sorry when I made you clean the bathroom. I had no idea. You see, if we don't know who God is, then this command can feel kind of burdensome. It can almost feel vain. If we don't know who God is and we hear, praise the Lord, we start to think, well, who is this? Who is this God that wants my praise, who requires it of me? Like, how is he worthy? Well, the psalmist tells us. The psalmist gives us the reason to say, the Lord is worthy of praise. Why? Look at verse 2. For his great steadfast love towards us. Steadfast love, it's one word in the Bible, and it's a great word. It shows up all over the Old Testament. It finds its way into the New Testament. It is this rich and meaningful word. And it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it sometimes, because this word can sometimes be translated as mercy. It can be translated as kindness, or loving kindness, or covenant love. But what this word is expressing, when we see this word show up in Scripture, it is showing us one of the primary ways that God reveals himself to us. That one of the primary ways that God displays to us who he is is through his steadfast love. You know, one commentator calls this the Emmanuel Principle. That God has promised to be our God and he has promised to make us his people. That God is with us, and we are his treasured possession. You know, I'm a seminary student. I study the Bible a lot. Um, I know a little bit of Greek. I know a little bit of Hebrew. I have access to wonderful commentaries, and I have incredible biblical software. But when I want to experience from God's Word, if I want to experience God and understand his steadfast love, you know what I go to? I go to the Jesus Storybook Bible. I mean, it is awesome. And I mean awesome to the fullest extent of that word. When I want to know how God is steadfast, I go to the Jesus Storybook Bible. Because every single story in that children's book ends with some version of this phrase. And it was all a part of God's great rescue plan. What the Jesus Storybook Bible does so well is communicate to us in simple ways the connection of God's steadfast love towards us through the whole Bible. You see, in Genesis 3.15, we see the first kind of glimmer of hope, the first gospel come to us, where after sin has entered the world and God is issuing his covenant promises and his covenant curses, he says to Adam and Eve, the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. 
the offspring of Satan. And he's going to bruise his heel. And right there, right there from the very beginning of the Bible, right after sin entered this world, we have a promise that God is going to show us his steadfast love, that God is going to secure us through a great rescue plan. And we continue to follow that out, and we get to someone like Abraham. And what happens with Abraham? Well, Abraham, God makes another promise to him. He says, Abraham, you who worshiped idols, you're my person. I'm calling you out of one land. I'm bringing you to another land. And this is what I want you to know. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a father of many. I'm going to make you a nation that causes the other nations to be blessed and to praise the Lord. All nations, all peoples. Sound familiar? And so Abraham ends up displaying how God's steadfast love is continuing on. And you can go generation after generation, story after story, page after page. And what do you see? We see that the Lord is steadfast. We see that the Lord loves his people and he moves towards them. And so the Lord is worthy of praise because he is steadfast. But here's the thing. You have to understand that the Lord's loving kindness It comes from His character, not ours. The Lord is not steadfast because we convince Him to be. The Lord is steadfast because that is who He is. And when we see that, our only response is praise. We have to respond with praise because when we see who God is, all peoples, all nations, it's the way that the Lord has been at work from the very beginning to show us and move towards us with his steadfast love. So here's what I want you to think about. What in your life do you praise that isn't steadfast? What are the things in your life that you praise as steadfast, but they just aren't? I think in our context, the thing that rises to the top of the list is probably comfort. Right? I, we love to be comfortable. When I am comfortable, life is good. So I will sacrifice a lot of things. I will change my schedule. I will do, and sometimes I'll move heaven and earth in order to be comfortable. You know, we want to take good vacations. We want to have the right house. We want our relationships to be easy. We want to set up boundaries so that we never have to feel uncomfortable. And so we quickly move to praise comfort instead of praising the Lord. You see, that comes from a lack of faith. It comes from a misunderstanding of who God is. You see, the psalmist is telling us that the Lord is steadfast and He moves towards us. So what happens when we don't believe that? Well, we look to ourselves. We look to things that make us feel comfortable. We look to the achievements of man and we say, that is easier to understand. So I'm going to praise that instead of praising the Lord. We do what's easiest. We do what's comfortable. But the good news, the reality of grace is that God's steadfast love is towards us. That means He moves towards us. That we don't, God moves towards us even when we don't move towards Him. That's someone who's worthy of praise. That is someone who is steadfast. So the Lord is worthy of praise. We've seen that the psalmist is telling us that he is steadfast. He's he's steadfast through the generations. He moved towards us with love. And that alone would probably be enough for us to say, yeah, the Lord is worthy of praise. 
But he gives us another reason. It says, praise the Lord because he's steadfast, but also praise the Lord because he is faithful. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. He's worthy of praise because he is faithful. Here's the beauty of what this psalm is highlighting. It's not saying that God's steadfast love is one thing and his faithfulness is another thing. They're not in contrast to each other. There's the same aspects, or the, the, the two things looking at the same aspect of grace. The psalmist is highlighting that the Lord's faithfulness is eternal, never ends, and endures forever. What that means is that the Lord's promise to rescue and redeem and save you is as true today as the day he spoke it, as the time it was recorded. The Lord is faithful. That means God is not going to flippantly change his mind. God is not going to stop being steadfast towards you because you didn't read your Bible today. God is not all of a sudden going to change the rules and say, if you aren't doing it this way, I'm not going to be faithful. No, the Lord's faithfulness endures forever if you have rested alone upon him for salvation. What that means is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for those who know that the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Listen, we say this a lot kind of in our circles, but you know, salvation is by what? Faith alone, right? Whose faith? What is the faith to which salvation comes through? You see, faith is not a result of your works. Our faith is a result of God's faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness in you. It's by grace, the grace of a steadfast and faithful God, through that faith in Him is where our salvation comes from. You see, that's who God is. He is faithful, and that faithfulness endures forever. Uh, There's a great scene in the show West Wing. It's a show I really enjoy. Uh, It follows kind of the staff in the White House. And so the the chief of staff at the time is a guy named Leo McGarry, and he is talking to his deputy chief of staff, a guy named Josh. And he ends up reaching out to him because Josh is suffering from PTSD. And so he tells Josh this parable. He says, there's a guy who's walking down the street, and he falls into a pit. And the walls are steep, and he can't find the way out. So along comes a doctor. The guy calls up and says, hey, can you help me? Doctor looks down, writes a prescription, throws it in there, moves on. A little while later, a priest comes by. The guy looks up and goes, Father, can you help me? Priest looks down, writes a prayer, throws it in there, moves along. Well, then a friend comes by. And he looks up and says, hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me? And you see, the friend just jumps right down into the pit. And our guy goes, are you stupid? Now we're both in here. And the friend looks at him and he says, yeah, but I know the way out. You see, the faithfulness of the Lord is that he comes down, enters into the pit and says, I know the way out. Psalm 117 is a, part of, is a part of these six psalms that were sung during Passover known as the Hallel Psalms. And don't be scared, you know what the word Hallel means. The root, it's the root of the word Hallelujah, which means praise. 
And so on the night when Jesus was betrayed, when he was gathered with the disciples to break bread and have the Passover meal, he would have sung this psalm. And Psalm 117 would have come after the meal, which meant that Jesus had spoken to his body, he had spoken to his blood. Here's the thing. We know what Jesus knew that night. We know what Psalm 117 means better than the person who wrote it. You see, Jesus is the ultimate expression of steadfast love and faithfulness. He is the Son of Man, the Lord, the Lamb of God, who is faithful and is led to the slaughter silently. Jesus knew that what we needed was something amazing to understand who God was. That we need to be able to look to something constantly and say, this is who God is. You see, the cross is the example of steadfast love and faithfulness. And it's amazing that this psalm, now reinterpreted from the Passover to Christ's death, is sung again and again to remind us of this. The ultimate picture of steadfast love and faithfulness is the cross. An obedient son crying out to the Father. Do you know what Jesus' words on the cross are? What Jesus says when he is crying out in that moment to God, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That doesn't sound very steadfast. That doesn't sound very faithful. But what does God know? The only way for God's rescue plan to work out is to be faithful and steadfast. And the expression of being faithful and steadfast is saying, I can't answer my son because he has to be crushed so that we can be made whole. He has to be cut off so that we can be brought in. Why is he faithful? Because God knew the only way that his rescue plan would work was for Jesus to go to the cross and to rescue and redeem humanity. You see, when we look at Calvary, we see exactly who God is. He is a steadfast God who loves to rescue and redeem. And he is so faithful to that promise that he would put his own son to death in order to rescue and redeem us. So that we who should be crushed, we end up being glorified. Because what would have crushed us only bruises his heel. The heel of a suffering and triumphant Savior. When we see this, it is clear that God is worthy of praise. Praise the Lord, He is worthy. All right, you may be saying, okay, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the Lord is steadfast, that the Lord is faithful, and He's worthy of praise. So how do I do it? Here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for you to praise the Lord. It could be as simple as maybe reestablishing a routine to worship at church with other believers. It could be serving in a ministry that you've never served in in a different context. It could be saying no to things so that you have more time to enjoy the good gifts that God has given you. It could be going to the Lord in prayer and praising Him. It could be any of those things. But this is what I'm going to leave you with. Ask Him. Go to the Lord, ask Him, and say, Lord, You are worthy of praise. Help me to know where and how I can praise You in spirit and in truth. You see, when we look at the cross, 
when we see this expression of steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus says, God, why have you forsaken me? But do you know what else he says on the cross? Jesus says, it is finished. What that means is our praise to God, it's never us going up to God and trying to introduce ourselves to him. When we praise God, it is always a response to finished work. It is always a response to who God is. We don't praise God to get God. We praise God because He is steadfast and because He is faithful. That's good news. Would you pray with me? Father, You gave us Your Son. You died so that we could live. You put Him down so that You could pick us up and embrace us with Your steadfast love. And You are faithful and it endures forever. Help us to know that sweetness and experience it today. To repent of sins and turn towards you with praise. Because Lord, you are worthy. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.